Welcome into another episode of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and once again, Bez is still on break after a lot of cricket. He, he needs to uh, recharge his cricket batteries, and Tim has been away spending time with some family, which is nice for Tim, but leaves me hosting alongside USA correspondent for Emerging Cricket, Nate Hayes. Welcome, Nate. Thanks, Nick. It's uh, what it's been a couple, only a couple of weeks, so I'm I'm joining you a lot faster than normal. <laughs> well, it's it's good to to be catching up more regularly. Um, we've had some more USA content as well, so we can jump straight into that, which is your area of expertise. We've seen the Under 19s America's qualification run and done in Canada, uh, in and around Toronto. Some matches at the Toronto Cricket Skating and Curling Club, which is actually in the city, and some at Maple Leaf Ground, which is uh, King City, a little bit outside Toronto. Um, not the best venue, which we, you know, we can maybe get into. But yeah, impressive performance from the USA to make it through. They went down to Canada in the first uh, encounter between the two teams. And then both teams won all of their other matches. So the final day clash between Canada and the USA was a, a winner-takes-all. And... Canada couldn't do the business. They posted 92 for 9 in their 22 overs, a rain-affected game, and the USA chased it down pretty comfortably in the end, seven wickets in hand and four and a half overs to spare. So the USA went through on the basis of a superior net run rate, which we can sort of touch on that. Uh, You know, each team won a game against each other. The first match was uh, a last-ball thriller, which Canada edged out on the very last ball of the match. Uh, and won by two wickets, whereas, you know, the the second game between the two of them was, was a bit more comfortable. But in between, they both thrashed Argentina and Bermuda a couple of times. And, you know, rather unfortunately, it, it sort of came down to who thrashed Argentina and Bermuda more. And, uh, yeah, ultimately, I guess you would say US, probably the deserving winners. I think looking at the talent on show, they were a little bit better than Canada. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, and, and fortunately for us, we you know we had Peter De La Pena on on site there to give us a rundown of what went on because mm, we were yes. unable to watch it. So that was really disappointing. You, you know, you would think hopefully in 2023 we'd be able to watch, you know, two teams where the ICC supposedly trying to spread cricket. You know, this is international cricket. This is a this is a really big deal, especially you know. I know every USA fan I know was glued to the score sheet yesterday. There were at times 800 people looking at the score sheets at the same time, according to the website. And I think 22,000 people before, halfway through the second innings, I think I remember seeing 22,000 people had checked on the score sheet. So, you know, there was demand for it. Um, But yeah, what an interesting series. And like you said, because USA lost that first game against Canada on the very last ball, it really did come down to who can beat Argentina the most. And then, of course, obviously, USA had to beat Canada in that last game, which almost didn't even happen. There was some rain the night before and a little bit of drizzle that day. And according to tweets from Peter De La Pena, the, the grounds crew didn't seem to be in any hurry to get the game on. <laughs> <laughs> that chimes with my experience at uh, King City uh, last year in the in the challenge league the, the you know the, the grounds guys are amiable but uh you know they go at their own pace and no one's going to be hurrying them up right 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 and and you know we can also speculate a little bit of incentive there you know with canada benefiting from a no play well, that's from true, a no yeah. result but you know obviously we don't want to get that cynical with our assumptions but um the credit goes to 
the ICC and the umpires for making sure the game actually happened. It was shortened to 23 overs, and USA got Canada out for under 100 and then chased it down uh, pretty easily. Just at that point, the they, USA won the toss and elected to, to bowl first, and you had to have a really good feel. And as a USA fan, waiting all day to see if that game would happen, once they announced that it would, USA had the upper hand in, term, uh, in terms of uh, morale and going into the game with the momentum of, yes, we have a chance now. Whereas Canada had to be like, well, I guess we got to play this game after all. Yeah, that's never a good headspace to be in where you're hoping to not play the game. And then, you know, if the game does get on, then you're sort of like, oh, right. we have to play. Yeah, so I, I think that quite possibly played into it. I think also, you know, once Dilraj Dale got out for Canada and, and Yuvraj Sharma didn't contribute a whole lot, you know, those two guys were kind of carrying them throughout the tournament. And... Yeah, that they couldn't post enough runs, and and yeah, as we said, I I think the US has a better team in in terms of talent depth, and I mean maybe you can touch on the minor league connection, but just the fact that a lot of these young guys are playing regular cricket at a pretty high standard, whereas Canada's domestic setup, yes, there's Toronto club cricket, which is quite good, but yeah, it's it, I wouldn't put it in the same class as minor league, that's for sure. Right, right, and actually now major league cricket in Canada have a deal where uh, Canadians can play in minor league as domestics which is going to be helpful to both Canada and USA and especially to minor league because it increases the talent pool in the league which is only going to make our young players better young players who did quite well in this tournament uh, we had the, the runs leader of the tournament Pranav Chetipalayam he plays for the Manhattan Yorkers in minor league and one of the top bowlers of the tournament for USA also played in the final in the minor league final and he, he was a, always going to get his quota uh, a team Subervanian. So these guys come in here with with a little bit of experience playing with better players or and you know playing with very good senior players in a very good strong competition against some very well-known cricketers throughout throughout the cricketing world. And yeah, that that definitely helped prepare these teams and I think when you look at the 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 quality of USA U19 players over the last two cycles, I think the minor league has has contributed to their rise. It, the, another thing was this this particular USA team was kind of in the shadow of the 2021 team that didn't even get to play in the qualifiers because of the um you, you know because of covid and Canada electing not to play and ICC letting Canada get through because of the the, the way that their tiebreaker was decided or that particular situation was decided based on previous record for Canada and Canada definitely had a better previous record against USA um which goes to show you that these always matter these games always matter and these qualifiers, they matter more than just for now because the USA missed out last time because of how poorly they had done in the past. But that team in 2021 is widely regarded here as the cream of the crop. I mean, since then, four players from this from that U19 team in 2021, four of those players have represented USA men's team. One of them scored the youngest century in the biggest chase in USA history, Simon Kumala. And then you have another one who's playing first-class cricket right now in South Africa who has has appeared in a major league cricket game for New York. So this particular team heading to Canada, a lot of people here rated them as less than that 2021 team. Uh, and that's not a, an insult to this team. It's more of a praise of that particular rendition. But we did 
a lot of us didn't really know what to expect from this team. If if, if they were really better than Canada, I think most of us would have bet our houses that, that they would have beat Canada in 2021. This time it was kind of like, you know, there was some question marks, uh, especially because the thing that made that 2021 20, team so good was that you had role players in that team that played their regular cricket in those roles instead of just taking a bunch of number threes in their regions and deciding, okay, who's going to bat number five and six, which this, this particular rendition kind of had to do. Utkar Srivastava, he is typically a number three in his youth uh, setup, and he had to bat number five for uh, for USA U19. This is how a lot of U19 cricket tends to go because you're like I said you're taking the best players from all over the USA putting them on one team and most of the best players on their youth team are going to bat at number three or number four or they're going to open one of them so you had players who had to play slightly out of position but uh Utkarsh was the player of the match in the in the uh, last game against Canada because of his output with the ball and the bat and he was very good throughout the tournament obviously it seemed to be a very good decision uh by the U.S. coaching staff to uh, line up their batting order this way. And uh, Pranav Chetapalayam was absolutely excellent leading the entire tournament in runs. It's hard to argue against the way that they that they did things when they came out with the results that they did. Yeah, and as I said, I think it's, it's a fair reflection of the quality between the two teams. You know, Canada do have a couple of talents coming through, you know, Amalam, Sivakumaran, the leg break bowler. But yeah, I, I think... And this is something I wonder if maybe minor league slash major league involving Canadians can go some way to ameliorating. But it's a recurring problem for Canada that, you know, they have a couple of guys who come through the under-19 system and, you know, they look promising and, and then they just drop off the face of the earth. And then, you know, they don't graduate into the senior team because there's just some kind of disconnect between the under-19 setup and the senior team. And it's, it's a real problem that, you know, guys who, for example, a few years back, one of one of the Canadian bowlers was the equal top wicket taker in the entire under-19s World Cup. And I don't think he ever even played a senior game at all for Canada. So, you know, when you have situations like that and, yes to some extent it's these guys get jobs and and sort of uh your real life takes over and and that's also a perennial problem but you know there is there is a real disconnect between the talent pipeline at under 19s level and you're getting into the senior team right so i would i would hope that if minor league is getting more involved or you know canadians are getting more involved in minor league perhaps then that gives them maybe an avenue to display their talents in a way that will actually get them noticed for the senior setup and, and provide a bit more of a pipeline there because I, I just don't think it's sustainable for Canada to just keep throwing away so much of its its youth talent like this. Yeah, well, that's exactly what, what it's done for American cricket. We, we think Try and think of a time when we've had so many players under the age of 21 debut with the team. And that's not just the four players that came from that U19 team in 2021, but also, you know, there were other players that didn't make that team who have debuted for USA. There are two. One of them had aged out by then, but he's also just barely older than that class. That's Vassal Vighela, who had played in the prior U- U19 team. Jarawala, Rahul Jarawala, who just missed out on that, that 2021 uh, selection. So, yeah, it's done a lot of great things for our young players minor league has in the USA. And, and worth mentioning is the infrastructure improvements that we've had over the last three three years in terms of wickets that players have had to play on. You go back three, four years in the USA, yeah. there's, there's there's a couple of pockets of USA where you have we didn't have hybrid wickets then. It was, it was all or nothing. And now we have more of that. And also what's benefited these players is every time a new wicket's introduced, 
in a new turf wicket is introduced in minor league cricket obviously there's a there's a period of time where those wickets are a little bit more difficult right there's the the, the wickets have to transition also so the first year for example at morgan hill it it was notoriously a low scoring games in in the san francisco bay area you know you'd get 130 140 150 for for a t20 out of players who are going to give you 170 180 190 on a good wicket and you know they had to ease into that morgan hill wicket and now the morgan hill wicket is very good and uh, so these young players had to deal with that transition too so these guys on the u19 team now have spent the last three years playing on pretty new wickets that that aren't always easy and and i talked to udkar shravastava today at the airport when he landed to congratulate him and get a, get some uh, quotes from him and he uh he told me that yeah it was not an easy batting wicket up there but the fact that they had had this turf experience over the last three years that they didn't used to have in the usa enabled them to deal with it to know how to handle a not a great batting surface and that to me that that takes away the advantage that a home team might have uh, you know th- go back four or five years and this Canada team probably beats this this USA team who just didn't have the benefit of that type of experience. Yeah, so hopefully Canada can find some way to you know, bridge that gap in, in the talent pipeline because there is some talent here, but if it doesn't get developed, then you know we'll just keep relying on you know guys who move to Canada as adults and, and play club cricket and, and come through that way, which you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it just seems like a waste to be ignoring the, the youth side of things. Um one one other player I am interested in is um, Path Patel, the the off break bowler from the US, who had uh, an amazing economy rate, two point six uh, throughout the tournament, um, the best of of any bowler. Uh, is is he on the radar for the national team, or is, do you think he's got a, a little while to go? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Every one of these young players is has got to be considered a, a prospect, especially after the last week or so. Um, but yeah, Parth plays it for the St. Louis Americans in minor league cricket. Um, or he has been, and um, the the trick is with the the fact that USA we play so much T20 cricket here in the USA, and not as much 50 overs cricket. And when you have a right arm off spin bowler, you know in T20 it tends to be a batter first who who can bowl right arm off break. Although there are there are some examples of right arm off break specialists, Akilesh Badagum. Uh, obviously Dane Pete, um, who have thrived in that role. But it's it's not as common of a role. I think you have to be good at bowling in any phase of the game, anytime, anytime especially when a lefty comes in. Yeah, it's almost more of a, a role position. The, the off-break bowler is... You know, you'll bring him on as soon as the lefty comes on it, rather than being a sort of all-purpose. Right. Which is an interesting development for T20. Because you, you think to first-class cricket, where your off-break is just kind of, you know, your, your bread and butter, hold up and end kind of bowler. Yeah, and I think in USA, when you're looking at prospects who are spinners in general, you want to have them be good with the bat, because we have a lot of really good, promising young spinners of uh, in, in general. So I think it's tough to forecast a, a spinner as, as a, a true pro- prospect or not, but part potential certainly has a good reputation as a very promising young cricketer throughout the country and he's you know I think he's we're going to see him relied on a lot more in minor league cricket in this coming season and, and in seasons to come and just a couple of uh, performers from the other teams Bermuda probably a little bit disappointed they, they couldn't push a little bit further I think according to Peter Delapena's reporting they were you know, in the match against the US in in the first game, you know, Jermaine Proctor batted very well on a tricky pitch, which, you know, as we've discussed, the King City grounds people, you know, the drainage was not great. So the, the ball was very slow. Um, and this is something that, I mean, 
It's it's kind of a running joke at this point how bad the drainage at King City is, and it's almost a miracle that we only lost one match entirely. Uh, a number of games were shortened due to rain or due to water on on the field, but the fact that only one game was totally called off between Argentina and Bermuda is uh, yeah something of a minor miracle, and yeah it, it's just so disappointing that. This facility, I don't want to say it's disappointing that it keeps being used, but the the fact is it's really not up to scratch. And yeah, the drainage is is dismal. The drainage pipes are like sticking out of the outfield. It's it's really quite bad. And no ground has benefited more from being you know ODI status and and one day status being grandfathered in. But yeah, I, I, you would hope that Cricket Canada would find some way of scraping the money together to fix it, but somehow that doesn't seem to be on the radar and I did note that they were playing at the Toronto Cricket Skating and Curling Club which uh, they haven't for a while because Cricket Canada has uh, a pretty bad relationship with with that ground (laughs) basically because they haven't been able to stump up the cash to to pay for playing there and you know the ICC obviously pay their bills in, in this scenario so I guess that's why they were playing there and the facility there is a lot better so, yeah, it, it, it's frustrating that, you know, these matches are not being played on, on the best facilities available or, or that, you know, Canada's not doing what they can to fix the facilities. But, yes, uh, Jermaine Proctor batted very well on a, on a very tricky ground. But, uh, you know, the, as the sun came out and uh, things dried out, it became a lot easier to chase. So the U.S. Uh, got home pretty comfortably after he posted 90 in the first match. Uh, Bermuda got to 163 for nine and the USA chased it down. Yeah, pretty handily in 27.1 overs. And yeah, poor old Argentina getting absolutely pumped every match. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going wrong there. They just seem to be getting worse and worse uh, every time. Or I, I guess to some extent, it's, it's the other teams that are taking over and uh, getting further ahead and maybe it's it's just a level of stagnation but yeah the, the talent pool is clearly not very big uh, in Argentina but I, I guess we can give a, a little shout out to Felipe Das Neves who took a five-wicket haul five for 60 against the US in their second match the US posted 364 so uh, if you're if you're taking five for 60 in that context that's a that's a pretty good effort but yeah no one else really stood up and they were bowled out for double figures in every single match they played so yeah not much positive to come out of that yeah it it, it looks like it would not knowing enough i mean I, you don't want to speculate here but not knowing enough it just seems like not enough people there are playing cricket it, 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 not enough youth are playing cricket it would seem like to me and it's a shame you know we've seen photographs of their grounds that they've had there from from peter de la pena as far as it comes with the with the women's game and stuff and it looks like they have really nice facilities at least a couple of them. Yeah, they hosted a regional qualifier um, not too long ago, and and um, <laughs> yeah, PDP was raving about the the quality of the facilities there, and it, it looked very good on the on the stream as well. And they they got a decent crowd in actually. Yeah. For the senior team, um, but yeah, just just not enough uh, talent coming through. So basically, Argentina's role here was to act as the uh, the Washington Generals, <laughs> uh, while every other team uh, <laughs> played played the Harlem Globetrotters and dunked on them and and uh, collected records. You know, for example, uh, Mossam Parekh was seven for twenty four for Canada or, or six for twenty one from Aaron. 
Ahmed Khani, and that was in the game from the USA, posting 515 for eight in their 50, which, according to Andrew Nixon, is probably a record at under-19s level. Uh, he certainly can't find any equivalent performances. So, yeah, it's it's disappointing when, when a team is you know that much under strength. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess they just need to find more cricketers. Yeah, and I remember I was joking with Ahmed Patel. I, was, I said I, I would trade about 430 of those runs for two runs in the first USA-Canada game. <laughs> oh, well, and yeah, you still would have won one-handedly. We still would have won, right, because I thought, okay, well, I, I wanted to see... USA beat Canada two times but yeah I mean either way those runs came in real handy because they USA and Canada did end up splitting so it it came down a net run rate which you know USA happened to score you know about 100 more runs against Argentina than Canada did and just summing up the points table USA played six won five lost one 10 points advanced on net run rate ahead of Canada who played six won five lost one also 10 points. Uh, Bermuda coming in third. Oh, just the one victory against Argentina. Lost both their games against Canada and the US. And yes, Argentina, net run rate of minus seven and a half. Lost every game. The only points coming in a washout against Bermuda. So that actually completes the under-19s men's qualifying for the 2024 under-19s World Cup. The USA is the America's representative. Uh, we saw recently New Zealand come through East Asia Pacific after they sat out the 2022 event, so they got dropped back to regional qualifying. Scotland came through the Europe qualifier, which finished up about a week or so ago. Nepal, we saw earlier in the year, got past the UAE in a thriller. And Namibia were pretty comfortable coming through Africa recently as well. So Namibia, USA, Nepal, New Zealand and Scotland are the final five teams uh, going to the Under-19s Cricket World Cup next year. Yeah, so one thing I got a, I got a question is, Phil going to end up going there, the USA oh. super fan, because he was there in Canada <laughs> for this game. And I got to say, I'm glad that it happened. We're, we're, we're glad the game happened, most of all, because it gave USA a chance to win, which they did and they advanced. But obviously, when you got a buddy who's driven like five hours or six hours to go to this with his family, who's humoring him for some reason. <laughs> well, I think we, uh, we, we can all uh, sympathize with that dynamic. Yeah, right. Exactly. But I'm, I'm just, uh, we were all, all of us in the discord, we were all stoked that the game actually happened and everyone i'll tell you what all everybody who's been arguing with each other in the usa circles because there are a bunch of arguments that happen there's always about six sides to every argument too which is amazing but everybody in the usa cricket family right now is very happy with this and it's just nothing nothing kind of eases everyone's pain quite like this which we which i would say that more confidently if uh we had done this before just only one time before <laughs> but uh but yeah it's it's great it's 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 good to see everybody coming together over this and yeah usa's first uh, under 19s world cup appearance since 2010 uh, how do you see that going i think it's good i think they have a good team they they look like they have a good team that's confident i think their coaches did a good job getting them prepared or getting them energized for the game and helping them understand that the things they need to think about and the and the attitude that they have to have and according to peter de la pena who is reasonably so very critical of things like attitude and, and th- things like behavior of the players when it, when they don't look good he seemed he was raving about the the attitudes of the players and and the the, the mentality they seem to share 
that's a really good thing. And hopefully we go there and we have, we're not just happy to be there. Mm. You know, like there was been articles written about Scotland, how Scotland had to get over the happy to be there type of mentality and really ask themselves, are, do we really believe we can win? And I think USA, these youngsters need to, the younger they are and that they adopt this type of attitude, the better it'll be for cricket in the USA in general. And I think these guys, the, this generation sees that the world is kind of their oyster more than other generations have because we have major league here. We have minor league here we have they're seeing players that were older than them going going on to have success and to actually they're actually seeing these things happen in front of them and it's, it's very exciting to them so i think that they're going to believe in themselves uh, a lot more than maybe previous generations have yeah and uh, you mentioned the the scotland story of um of looking to win rather than uh, you know being happy to participate of course that's a, a reference to playing with teeth a uh, friend of the pod jake perry uh, wrote that book, uh, which is uh, a very good one to get your hands on if you're interested. That's right. In, in cricket books, um, but yeah, it would would be interesting, and hopefully we can see the uh, the US the US young guys playing with teeth as well, and and putting up a bit more of a fight than historically, you know, we've we've seen from the Americas at under 19s World Cups. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think that this is a generation that has at least has that attitude, and I and I, I I'm really pleasantly surprised to see it and moving on to senior cricket and some more positive news for associates uh, we've just seen the uae beat new zealand in the second t20 international of a three-match series uh, which the series will probably be over by the time you're listening to this uh, but uh, currently it's tied one apiece new zealand won the first game uh, although you know there's a pretty good argument the uae should have won that first game as well New Zealand posted 155 for six, batting first, and the UAE chasing were pretty comfortable. You know, you <laughs> when you you four for 100 in 13 overs, only need 50 odd in the next seven with with seven wickets in hand. Most of the time, you should be uh, you should be chasing that down, um, and that was largely thanks to uh, debutant Ariant Sharma, the the wicketkeeper batter, opening the batting. Uh, hit 60 off uh, 43 deliveries and they were yeah UAE were cruising the chase and then Tim Southey came back precipitated a collapse took five for 25 and the UAE were ultimately bowled out for 136 falling 19 runs short so a bit of a choke there from them in the first game but they didn't make the same mistake in the second match Uh, New Zealand posted 142 for eight with uh, Hong Kong's Mark Chapman hitting 63 the main scorer there and uh, another exciting young talent for the UAE on, on the bowling side, Ayan Afzal Khan, the, the left-arm orthodox spinner, grabbing three for 20 to keep New Zealand in check. Uh, he's one who's been playing already for the senior team, uh, even though I, I think he's barely 18. Um, he's already been playing a, a few games for the senior team. And in response, Mohamed Wazim, the skipper, hit 55 off 29. And Richard Aravind, Asif Khan and Basil Hamid all chipped in. And the UAE got to 144 for three in the 15th over. So pretty comfortable victory in the end. And with the decider for the series yet to be played, um, I think this is already a pretty successful series for the UAE and just goes to show there's no reason why more teams can't uh, you know, tack on a few T20s or, or even maybe some 50 over cricket uh, when they're when they're touring the UAE. Yeah, and and a lot of 
people, let's just say haters will say, they'll look at this New Zealand team and they'll say, oh, well, this isn't New Zealand's top group or whatever. You know, you still have some really great cricketers in this New Zealand team. Seaford, uh, Santner, you know, obviously Nisham, uh, Southie, all of these guys. You look up and down the team and how much experience that every one of these guys has in T20 cricket. And all of these guys have 10, 50 games of T20i experience. And you've got several players from uh, UAE who are p- basically playing their first T20 internationals. You got a you got a handful of those guys, and they you know they haven't played as much T20 international cricket as uh, obviously as 50 overs uh, as ODI cricket. Um, a lot of, a lot of these players. So to me, it's like wow, this is still a massive accomplishment. We already know how good UAE is. They're a very good team. So it's it's impressive to me. This is a nice little uh, you know measuring stick for them, and in splitting this series so far, they have a great chance to win it. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, there's a couple of things going on there, and that <laughs> you can make the argument that oh yeah, New Zealand's playing their second eleven or whatever. Um, even if you do want to go down that path, if you're if the only difference between a top line full member team and an associate team is like what three or four senior players. And suddenly they're the same level. I think that just goes to show how strong associate cricket is really. Right. You know, if you take a couple of good players out of most full member teams, I think a lot of associates would, would back themselves to beat them. And, you know, that's the difference. You know, a couple of key players. And the UAE especially, I think they're just going to keep getting better because, you know, you look at the guys coming in, Aryan Sharma, Ayanaf Salkan, Richard Aravind, who, I mean, he's he's still scoring runs, but he he's it goes to show he's only what 2021 20, he, and he's almost you could say he's hit, he's hit a, a rough patch of form and he's still you know contributing you know the, these guys have all come through the UAE development system and they're really putting paid to the stereotype that the UAE is just a you know a bunch of expats you know the UAE recruits players and you know all that all that nonsense well this is this is a team that's you know more than half of the players have come through the UAE development system and I would say this is not a full strength UAE team either. So, you know, to the point of New Zealand not playing their, you know, their first 11, the UAE is missing a couple of key players like, you know, your, your Rohan Mustafas. And, you know, if they're playing debutantes, then clearly they've got senior players missing. So, on that sense, if a, you know, not 100% UAE can beat a not 100% New Zealand, what does that say? And, and I think with all the talent that's coming through, they're just going to keep getting better. Also, just quickly looking across to the women's side, you know, the, the stereotype of UAE recruiting players, the UAE is actually exporting players now with uh, Mahika Gore, the, the left-arm seam bowler, being called up to the senior England squad after, I believe she's studying in the UK, but, you know, she's a product of the UAE domestic system. She's grown up in the UAE. She's played for the UAE for a number of years now. Um, she, she's a, 100% a UAE cricketing product. And, you know, she's good enough to play for the England senior team. Yeah. I think it's time to retire the image of the UAE just being, a, you know, a bunch of expats who, who haven't you know, learned the game there. Right. Clearly, they're just another nation that's going to funnel their talent into England. <laughs> well, well, yes. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, you can't win either way. You're going to be labeled as something. But uh, but yet yeah, no, I mean you you look. New Zealand has has won an ICC trophy very recently. Yeah, it wasn't a T20 ICC trophy, but they, you know, they have the scepter, or they did, <laughs> the uh, the uh, World Test Championship. They did have it. But yeah, so they in a, a full member nation of their class, you've got to go three, four, five teams deep uh, worth of players. 
before you've gotten players that that no, nobody's really heard of before. And so, you know, there's pl- there's plenty of great players on this New Zealand team that this UAE team beat. And like you said, this just goes to show how strong UAE is and how how good they. We've seen. And the crazy thing about UAE isn't to me the label for them isn't that they're just an associate team or they're not. The the question of their quality to me, the the question is their consistency, which we've seen both sides of this team in uh, in the last year. We've seen them be very, very, very good and very, very, very bad. And so, you know, we know that on that w- when they've got their act together, they can be uh, a destructive force. Well, and that's the other thing. I think we know how good the UAE are. Uh, they're, they're certainly one of the top associate teams against other associates. But just they they have in the past struggled to get over the line against full members. You know, there was that series before the qualifiers uh, against the West Indies where I think they were pretty disappointing and... You know, they probably, if, if they're being honest, they would say they, they had a bad series and they didn't play as well as they should have. And, you know, before that, I think they played some T20s against Afghanistan and they actually won at least one of them uh, pretty comfortably. So, you know, hopefully we're starting to see a time where the UAE are able to actually put it together against full members and, you know, show what they're capable of and, you know, keep ticking off those uh, those boxes that, you know, the, the associates need to try and push for full membership because I, I don't see any reason why the UAE can't push for full membership, especially since their women's team is also, as well as losing their talent to England, their women's team is, you know, full of young players who've come through the UAE system and are, you know, performing on the field. So, there's no reason their women's team can't also have a lot of success and you know keep keep chipping away at those uh, requirements for full membership. Absolutely. And uh, moving elsewhere in the associate world, Germany and Guernsey have played a three-match T20I series in the Netherlands. Uh, this came on the back of uh, a Netherlands, you know, Netherlands A team or Development Eleven playing a rather experimental Germany side. Um, so that was a, a nice little series for them uh, and. Guernsey hopped over and and played some T20s against Germany. So Germany being good sports there and and playing them as T20Is, but unfortunately it's uh, somewhat backfired on them with the rankings because as we'll uh, get into, there's a bit of a race on for the qualification cutoff, which is at uh, the end of September. So for those who haven't been keeping up with the minutiae of the uh, the ICC qualification process, the teams currently in the Challenge League have finished all their matches. So the four bottom teams, uh, so the two bottom teams from each of the two Challenge League groups, so that's Bermuda and Italy from one of the groups and Malaysia and Vanuatu from the other group. So those four teams from the Challenge Leagues will face off against the top four countries who meet the entry criteria and that will form the Challenge League playoff. So the top four teams in the T20I rankings who are not currently in the Challenge League uh, will play off against the bottom four teams from the Challenge League. So currently, the top four teams who are not in the Challenge League are Kuwait at number 27, Bahrain at number 28, Tanzania at number 30, and Saudi Arabia at number 33. But just behind Saudi Arabia are Spain and Germany. Germany previously were ahead of Spain, but with that series result against Guernsey, Guernsey have jumped up to 37 and Germany have dropped down to 35. So uh, possibly ill-advised to be uh, putting ranking points at stake in this series. And basically Spain, as we talked to Corey Rutgers about, uh, Spain have been very meticulous about who they play and 
and and trying to preserve their rankings and and only playing teams that will benefit them in in terms of if they win and teams that they think they can beat. So uh, Spain and Saudi Arabia are probably the last two teams standing. Germany, you would imagine, won't get much of a chance at overtaking Spain. And Saudi Arabia's next assignment will be the Gulf Cup, which is being played in mid-September, also playing UAE, Oman, Kuwait, Bahrain, uh, and the hosts, Qatar. So quite possibly if Saudi Arabia lose a number of matches there, they'll fall behind Spain. And Spain, you know, you, you might wonder, will they try and schedule a, a series against somebody and sneak past Saudi Arabia? Yeah, you can you can slip into Burtis's DMs and ask him, see what, what he's got <laughs> planned for them. Maybe Germany needs to hire Burtis to, to recover from this <laughs> as well, a consultant. Well, Bertus is uh, is already being paid in beers by Corey Rutgers, from what Corey was saying. But I, I think some some free advice from Bertus would be to not schedule series against teams that aren't going to benefit you if you win. Uh, which, yeah, I, I think even if they had beaten Guernsey here, it wouldn't have really put them much further up the rankings. But yeah, all of that convoluted intro is to say that it's good this series happened, and it's pretty impressive effort from Guernsey actually, who've been sort of languishing, you know, jerseys sort of take all the plaudits and Jersey have been dominant in uh, you know inter-insular series recently but you know a good effort from Guernsey to beat Germany here uh, Josh Butler for Guernsey the leading run scorer in the series with a couple of half centuries including 87 which broke Guernsey's record for highest uh, individual tally uh, yes Josh Butler that is and yeah with the ball it was, it was more of a, a team effort uh, with German off-spinner Gulm Ahmadi, the top wicket-taker. But, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of this series uh, because, as we said, with the convoluted rankings stuff, I mean, that's kind of a, a topic in itself, isn't it? The, the fact that these teams have to be you know, running spreadsheets to try and guess at the rankings implications of what they're doing rather than just you know, playing as many matches as they can. Right. And the fact that we're, we're choosing 50 over qualification based on 20 over results is another topic. You know, it just makes you think there should be a better way of, of breaking into the 50 over uh, qualification pathway. Right. When you look at it, there's 75 associate teams ranked here. There are 87 total teams ranked. 75 of them are associates. Germany has played the fourth most games of any associate, and they're kind of punished for it uh, to a degree. And, and meanwhile, Spain, who... You've you've mentioned that Spain is doing things very, you know, uh, I, for lack of a better word, which I hate use, overusing this word, kind of hacked the thing, right? They know who to schedule, and and they've got it, the science of it sorted. And Germany has played, you know, fifteen more games than they have. You know, I'm, I, you know, it's it's an interesting thing when when you don't have leagues, when you don't have a T20 league that standardizes however many games that these teams play. This is what you're going to get. You're going to get these imperfect uh, systems. Yeah, and you know, much as much as we like Corey Rutgers and and Bertus de Jong, and uh, I, I really respect Bertus's ability to work backwards from the rankings. Yeah, I, I just there's got to be a better way than that, and it just doesn't make sense to me that this is what you have to be doing. Is you know not not playing some games certainly Spain could host a lot more games they've got some excellent facilities there um, but but they very smartly have chosen not to host as many games as possible and only host the games that are going to benefit them in, in terms of the rankings and yeah, that's right they have to play that game that's the game that is the game you have to play the game that, that you're involved in and they just happen to figure it out and if everybody was as sharp as they were uh, you'd have this stalemate of nobody ever wanting to play anybody yeah well yeah that's that's kind of an interesting point isn't it you know if, if everybody else works this out then do we end up with a situation where Spain's inviting someone over to play and you know their potential opponents are saying 
well, hang on, you're just going to use us to game the ranking system. We're not, we're not playing that, for, you know. So, yeah, it, it's, it's suboptimal to have a qualification system that disincentivizes actually playing matches in, in some cases, but that's a recurring problem for the rankings, I would say. It just seems to me more of these countries, more of these national teams need to listen to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, you know, get a little bit sharp on this, get to it, you know? Well, yeah, some some really advertising for Bertus's, uh consulting uh, side gig there, I think. Uh, absolutely. I mean, why not? Well, staying in Europe and uh, moving a few hundred kilometers to the southeast, uh, Romania is hosting the Men's Continental Cup. And that's about halfway through at the moment. We'll probably have run to its conclusion by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we have Romania playing against Malta. Unfortunately, it's only Romania, Malta and a Romania A team. Um, so a bit of a 90s Australia throwback for uh, for some, some fans of Australia A. But yeah, this the Continental Cup is something that's been running for a few years now. So it's a bit disappointing they couldn't get more teams to come and visit. But uh, it's, it's good that they've got it on nonetheless. Uh, we also have the... East Africa T20 Cup, which is starting on the 20th of August and running to the 31st of August. That's being hosted in Rwanda at the Gahanga Stadium, which is, I believe, the stadium that saw the most T20i traffic uh, of any stadium in the world uh, when you include men's and women's uh, last year. And that seems set to continue with this East Africa uh, T20 with uh, Tanzania and Uganda joining the hosts in Rwanda, and they're playing a sextuple round robin. It's it, it's a it's really impressive. I mentioned before how many games Germany has played, <laughs> and and I said only only three other teams have played more more T twenty games than them, and two of those teams are in this tournament. So this is a they they have some serious uh, cricket lust here in this group. Well, and I mean that, that that's actually something we do talk about a bit is the fact that these teams have been playing each other a lot, and these teams are getting a lot better. You know, Uganda and Tanzania, especially. Tanzania is the only one that's, that hasn't played as many games as Germany. They've played 31. Germany's got 33. But after this, they'll have they'll be at 37. And, you know, by the end of this month, they'll be at 37 games. And Germany's going to have to do some catching up. <laughs> well, yeah, from memory, I believe last year, the same event last year, uh, Kenya were originally supposed to be playing. And then it moved to being a sextuple round robin because they had I, th- I think I believe it was broadcasting commitments to have a certain number of matches and with Kenya pulling out they had to play more but uh, I don't know if the same thing happened or if they just enjoyed playing each other so much they decided to <laughs> to keep to keep the six matches against each team format but uh, yeah I mean the fact that these teams are playing each other so much is testament to as you say the the love of the game in Africa which is certainly on the rise and also you know they, they're playing a lot and they're getting better and and these teams Uganda especially and, and Tanzania they're improving the standard of play because you know they're getting regular quality cricket against each other and and you know the African region is a real hotbed for the game oh yeah I, I don't think there's a continent that plays more t20 cricket I yeah, love the stuff yeah than, than, than Africa and it, so it, it's really cool to see heck I'll, I'll I'll take, you know, 35 T20s over USA's nine. You know, I'll take that any day. I mean, I want to see USA play this many T20s. I want to see them have a, have a you know, six-round robin against <laughs> Canada, you know, and Bermuda. I, mean, I'd watch that. I would watch it every minute of it you know it would be it would be amazing unless it was a you know in king city <laughs> uh yes bringing that one full circle um <laughs> uh there's also some more cricket happening on the women's side actually uh malaysia is hosting hong kong kuwait and nepal that's 
uh, a quadrangular series that starts on the 22nd of August and runs through to the 26th of August. Uh, that's preparation for uh, the upcoming Asian Games, I believe. There's also a series involving Indonesia and Kenya, which is supposedly scheduled, although no scorecards have surfaced. The, the information that's been put out is that Indonesia are hosting Kenya in Bali, and that's happening between the 18th and the 22nd of August with six T20Is, but uh, again, no scorecards have come out. And Indonesia are also uh, supposedly uh, scheduled to host a tri-series with Kenya and also Qatar joining them uh, towards the end of the month. Um, So we'll see if we can dig up some results from that uh, as, as it happens. And also on the upcoming calendar, Jersey's women are touring the Netherlands, and that's starting on the 24th of August, playing three T20Is. The Netherlands, of course, have just finished a series against Ireland's women, uh, which Ireland's women won 3-0. Uh, three very comfortable victories. Uh, they won by 10 wickets with seven overs in hand in the first game, chasing down 90-odd uh, in 13 overs after Arlene Kelly took a five-wicket haul. In the second match, Ireland posted 148 for six and bowled out the Netherlands for 82 with Laura Delaney in the wickets. And in the third T20I, the Netherlands got to 116 for six in their 20 overs with uh, Iris Schilling scoring a half-century, but... Uh, it wasn't good enough with Ireland getting there uh, with an over to spare and six wickets in hand. Rebecca Stokel leading the chase. Yeah, so pretty disappointing results there for the Netherlands, but uh, hopefully they can bounce back against Jersey. Yeah, and just want to give a shout out to Lenny, Andrew Leonard, who is doing commentary for Ireland versus India. And that's been really fun to watch because, you know, we get this great broadcast and we get to hear uh, Lenny's familiar voice. Uh, doing the commentary, so so I know that this is a big a big moment for him, and it's 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 he's brought a lot of value in the process, which I hopefully will catch some eyes. Yeah, it's it's always nice to see uh, see your friends doing well, and uh, yeah, Lenny doing the Ireland game uh, for the Indian audience. I, I think you know hopefully they'll uh, they'll like what they hear, and uh, yeah, onwards and upwards for Lenny. I, I think if we're if we're going to be touching on that series uh, with with cricket Ireland uh, hosting India, I think it is worth mentioning some of their. Uh, pretty uh, disappointing shall we say uh, sponsorship choices <laughs> it's not just gambling it's these weird online i don't know cartoon women gambling and uh, yeah just some very strange things which you probably don't want your brand to be associated with as as a cricket organization especially one that you know as we've just seen from this um, series against the netherlands they're taking their women's team quite seriously on the field but then they have these yeah i, I, I don't know that they're, they're just kind of gross well yeah. you know gambling gambling in general gambling websites in general are not safe for work this one's extra not safe for work the the ones that i'm <laughs> seeing here yeah so it's just it's just it's kind of it's, it's really sad and funny at the same time I mean, typical cricket nonsense sad and also funny <laughs> yeah well, yeah, it's it's funny because it's so ridiculous, but also it is sad that the, the fact that Ireland are in such a financial state that, you know, they really have to scrape the bottom of the barrel to put a couple of euros together and host a series. So, yeah, <laughs> a bit disappointing. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. And uh, remember that you can, of course, keep up to date with all the latest news and events in the Emerging Cricket world by following Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platforms or logging on to EmergingCricket.com. That's it for now, and we wish you all the best wherever you are around the cricketing world.